Hello, my name's Maggie Taggart and I've been a senior broadcast journalist for over 40 years, mostly with the BBC in Northern Ireland. For this series of podcasts on making equality a priority, I've linked up with the Equality Commission to highlight the need for reform of Northern Ireland's equality laws. Today we're talking about disability discrimination in the field of education. In Northern Ireland, children with special needs have a right to aids and services in school under SENDO, that's the Special Needs and Education Order. But not all disabled children who are identified as disabled under the law are considered to have special educational needs. So a disabled child who doesn't have special educational needs has no legal right to these auxiliary aids or services under the law, even if they're seriously disadvantaged at school because of their disability. In England and Wales, schools are obliged by law to consider extra equipment or support for all disabled children and to provide it where it is reasonable. My guests today are Karen Wilson, who's Education Advocate with Angel Eyes, a charity which works to give children with visual impairments an equal chance to fulfil their full potential in education. And she works mainly at the primary level. Also joining us is Catherine McNichol from the Equality Commission's Policy and Research Team. Catherine, could we start with you just by setting down the current situation? What protection is there for school children with disability and what are the obligations on the schools? I mean, is there some sort of loophole which stops children getting the help they need? Well, lots of children may well get all the auxiliary aids and services they need through the SEND framework and statements. However, there are differences between the definition of special educational needs and disability in the law, and some children may fall through the gaps or only have some aspects of their needs recognised through that SEND framework. Likewise, a child with special educational needs might not be considered disabled. A statement might not include everything a child needs and obviously as we know there's considerable problems with waiting times for assessments. The Commission has previously raised examples of a disabled child who needed a communication system which would allow her to communicate beyond yes and no answers, another who required a dictaphone, large print notes and extra time in exams and indeed another who required a classroom assistant. None of them were entitled to the auxiliary aids and services under the SEND framework. So Karen, on behalf of the Angel Eyes charity, you must be well acquainted with all these problems that parents come to you. So let's first of all just say, how well do visually impaired children, or how poorly do they sometimes achieve their potential in school or college? Um, well, visual impairment is a spectrum. Something like autism, I suppose, where you go from mild to more profound. 80% though of what we learn is through our vision um, and certainly skills development is through copying and mimicking our peers. So you can see how to not have your vision means that you, you lose out on a lot of that incidental learning. But because it is a spectrum, quite often it's the children who are more profoundly impaired where the support is directed. So you have a cohort of children who do struggle in school and aren't really able to access the support services that they require. So often when parents do come to, to me, they're in a state of crisis um, and they have been struggling and exhausted all other avenues of, of trying to get support for their child. So if it's 40 percent, that would kind of show me that, that kids aren't doing so well within school. But there are some examples of good practice, which is why we know what does work and why we would advocate very strongly to have those um, across the board uh, for all children. But also, I think it's important to note about the destination as well. So we do have um, some children with vision impairment who do do well academically, but but lack in social skills as well. And certainly we know that. Uh, only one in four persons um, who are who, are, who have a vision impairment are in employment. And is that probably something to do with the, their, their education that they've got up to looking for a job? 
Absolutely. There are a lot of the skills that a person with a vision impairment needs to learn, which is extra and beyond the curriculum as well, the core curriculum, um, such as the use of assistive technology. Um, and if that is done correctly and they learn those skills early, then that will obviously lead to success, not just in learning, but in life and in work. So can you spell out just for those who are not uh, acquainted with visually impaired children and adults, what are the actual auxiliary aids, as you're calling them, and services that, that would be useful? So there are low level tech solutions for children with vision impairment, and that can be as simple as having a darker leaded pencil than the HB pencil that they that, that their peers would be writing in, in the lower. <laughs> so simple. Um, I know. <laughs> it's just so that they can read it back themselves if it's the darker lead. Sometimes it could be having slightly thicker lined paper. Um, so again, the bolder uh, line can stand out a little bit better. And that's very true for things like graph paper as well. But then you kind of do have a higher level need as well, which would be the books and the resources and the worksheets to be visually accessible through increased size, line spacing to be slightly larger and stripping away of, of any kind of irrelevant information that really isn't part of the learning objective so that it's not cluttered and crowded. And at the moment, that's really up to schools to adapt the worksheets. But also there is the regional vision resource base, which is part of the education authority, which can make books to enlarge print size. But technology then in regards to iPads, laptops, electronic magnifiers, etc., or real game changers. Um, we know that assistive technology is a game changer for all children with special educational needs. It does help with attainment, uh, participation, but it really is very revolutionary for children with a vision impairment. And as I said, this is something that they will use not only for their learning, but for life and work. Currently at the moment, through Freedom of Information in August 2020, we learned that of the 1,001 pupils known to the service to get that um, specialist support, only 13% are in receipt of assistive technology. So that's six laptops and 120 iPads. So that's a very, very small number of the number that really could be in receipt of them. We would really advocate that every child with a vision impairment should be in receipt of the appropriate assistive technology. And obviously for those children who are blind, that's slightly different again. That could be the use of um, a Braille Note Touch or perhaps a Perkins Brailler. Really, every individual child needs to get assessed as to what they need to ensure that they can maximise their potential in school. Do some schools provide these anyway, even without it being law? Normally, it's up to the education authority through their peripatetic service to supply the assistive technology and they work on a criteria basis. So they work on a criteria basis in regards to the support that children with vision impairment will get as in the intensity, the frequency, if indeed they will qualify for any support. And then also they have a criteria in regards to the technology. Now, if that is not supplied through that education authority and the child doesn't always need to have a statement, just as long as they're well at our old then stage three of the code of practice where they're getting that external agency support. But as they not all will fit the criteria, but some schools do then provide the iPad, but that's few and far between. So technically, if this was all sorted out, schools would not have to foot the bill at a time when they're having great difficulty paying their bills. And that would be amazing because that, that has been a stumbling block. We feel like a lot of the provision that's been provided for children's vision impairment, and I'm sure it goes across the line, is resource driven as opposed to needs driven. Now, I know on a slightly different topic, you've been studying how children with visual impairments have, have done and progressed over 
the time of COVID-19 and lockdown. Tell me a little bit about the report that you've provided. Um, so just as lockdown happened, March 2020, our first lockdown, we were inundated with calls from parents, um, kind of concerned about the fact that the children were receiving resources from schools that were inaccessible. And I think in the first report it was something like 60% or 62% of parents were having to adapt the resources at home themselves. In the second, this it rose to 68%. So it became quite evident that there were, were two main things that really arose. And that was the fact that children weren't getting accessible resources and that parents were having to, to do them themselves. And the communication between educational staff and home was very difficult. So really what COVID did was brought the classroom into the kitchen. And it was really a vehicle to kind of highlight the inequalities that our children were kind of suffering already in school. So it was already there, but because it was now in front of the parent, I think it just became a lot more obvious. So we knew we had to capture the voice of the parent and by proxy the voice of the child um, through surveys. So we did a survey for the first report in, in 2020, and then we wanted to follow that up again in April 2021 to see if there had been any kind of changes um, or any of the recommendations that we had suggested being implemented. Because certainly after the, fact, the first report, we did have opportunity to meet with Peter Weir, who was the Minister of Education at the time, and other key stakeholders. Um, but unfortunately, the April 2021 report didn't show the progression or differences that we really wanted to see. So although lots of parents were struggling with the, the home education, it must have been just multiplied umpteen times for people who needed special aids or special help. Um, absolutely, you're right. I mean, all parents really did struggle with the home learning situation. But whenever you're receiving information from the school and you realise that it's not accessible, the parent then had the job of adapting it themselves. And that put a lot of pressure on them, obviously, to do it right. But they also then were trying to communicate with the specialist teacher and to ask for a wee bit of guidance with that. And again, unfortunately, the results of the survey showed that, that communication was lacking where they didn't weren't able to, to get support from that specialist teacher to help them and to advise them on how best to, to get the resources in a way that was, would be right for their child. And I think then there was the extra worry, well, is this indicative of what is happening all the time? So you have made four main recommendations. Can you just run through them for us? Yes, certainly. So our four main recommendations, well, the first would be around resources and technology. Um, it is pertinent that that has got correct in order for the child with vision impairment to be able to access the curriculum, be that in printed resources, braille resources, um, or also then using assistive technology to have a dual approach. Um, and the, the technology would also allow the child to become independent in learning and have autonomy in their learning. Training it would be our second recommendation, and really that's around the fact that the parents were receiving inaccessible resources. Children um, during lockdown, children are receiving inaccessible resources in schools, and a lot of that to do is a lack of awareness of what an accessible resource is like, or how to actually adapt a resource. Um, so we, there's definitely a need for training with classroom assistance, and the classroom assistant is an integral part really in uh, the child with vision impairment reaching their potential. Um, the third recommendation would be then around communication. Again, through COVID, we could see it was evident that a lot of schools, as well as other educational professionals, such as the specialist teacher, weren't in regular or in effective communication with parents um, and children. And that was leading to feelings of isolation. But again, we feel that that is indicative of, of what is happening, you know, pre-COVID, where parents aren't really getting the information that they need to ensure 
that they know that their child is being adequately supported uh, within their educational setting. And the fourth one is around data collection. I appreciate the Department of Education and the Education Authority have certainly um, recognised that there is a real dearth of data to do with children with special education needs, certainly within um, the visual side as well. And, and we would really be calling for meaningful measurement of impact so that we know that what the service is delivering is actually fulfilling the needs of the children. We've been a bit downbeat about the, the situation at the, at the moment, but are there any good news stories you can tell us about what children have done once they've got those extra aids or services? Um, yeah, we have a wonderful case study where we have a young person um, who started in year eight of a grammar school in Belfast. And when they first started, they found it very difficult to carry all the books that they needed because they had enlarged books. So one small book could be four volumes and then also then to participate in any kind of extracurricular activities. Um, so it was suggested to the school by ourselves about making that particular pupil completely digital. They were very motivated by technology themselves. So, and, and that was a way that they were quite engaged in their learning. So we, we advised the school and we also went to the education authority to the sensory support service. Everyone worked collaboratively to make that happen. And this pupil did become completely digital and paperless, is now in their lower sixth year, completing A-levels and just using their, their iPad. But also the school then were able to see the advantage of that. And they have in fact made their whole mathematics department a paperless as well. And so again, that was a good practice that was able to to support all children. It must be quite life changing as well for very young children in primary school who who suddenly find that they they can see something they couldn't see before or they can understand something they couldn't understand before. Um, Yeah, a lot of children with vision impairment try to cope in class. So they're not they're not that child who will be in any way disruptive or, you know, distracting of other pupils. So they they often won't have the courage to self-advocate, to put their hand up to the teacher and say that they're struggling. Um, So yes, they often struggle and don't really tell anybody. So when they do then finally get a resource in a way that that they can access, it is absolutely life-changing for them. Catherine, back to you uh, from the Equality Commission. Uh, What are the changes that you want here compared to those in England and Wales where where we seem to be saying everything is much better? Although England and Wales equality law we would never say is absolutely perfect, in this instance we would want to follow them and see protection for children and ensure that disabled children, whether they have a special educational needs statement or not, are able to access auxiliary aids and services through their school or indeed the education authority were failure to do so would put those disabled pupils at a substantial disadvantage at the minute pupils who aren't able to access those aids and services through SEN or through the schools are not able to challenge that in court and are left without what they need to thrive and meet their potential in schools and Karen, just from Angel Eye's perspective, if every visually impaired child was entitled to the auxiliary aids and the services, would that mean a lot more qualifications and better jobs for those children and young people? Absolutely. That's a very clear answer. Thank you very much indeed. No doubts there. Thank you very much to Karen and to Catherine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you will be able to find more recordings on the topic of reforming Northern Ireland's equality laws. They feature a range of speakers and will be on the Equality Commission's website or wherever you find your favourite podcasts.